Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Hello, America, and welcome to yet another day in the great pandemic, the great shutdown in America. I'm John Solomon, and you're listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News, where we give you just that, just the news, just facts, information, no indoctrination. Today, we've got some really interesting stuff on the pandemic front. If you're wondering where some of your taxpayer dollars are going right now in the pandemic relief bills that Congress has been passing, Cheryl Atkinson's got a great story. Guess what? A good portion of that first $8.3 billion that Congress approved a few weeks ago. You got it. It's going overseas. And we've got another grand omission from the Robert Mueller report. You're not going to believe what Robert Mueller found out very early on about the Trump Tower meeting. You remember the Russians who came in and met with Don Jr. and some of the White House uh, officials, uh, our future White House officials at the Trump Tower. There's a big revelation. You won't believe what Mueller knew and what he failed to tell us in his report. And we've got an extraordinary interview with Alfredo Ortiz, the head of the Job Creators Network, one of the most important voices for Main Street America, the small business community. He has some great inside knowledge of what's been going on in the Senate and the House. He's got some strong reaction to the $2.5 trillion Nancy Pelosi pandemic relief bill that was filled with gifts for liberal interests like unions and performing arts and other special uh, interests in the liberal side of America. He's got a strong reaction to that. He's going to tell you what's going to happen and what business communities need in order to get through this pandemic. You're going to love his advice. He's got a great analogy. Remember when you go to your computer and you have an option to shut down or put it into sleep? He wants America's economy just to be put into sleep. He doesn't want it to be shut down. He's going to describe what that means. And we'll be back in a few seconds uh, to go through all of these big revelations. And stay tuned for an extraordinary interview with Alfredo Ortiz, one of the most important voices in all of the small business community of America. We'll be back right after these messages. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And again, please support our sponsors, our advertisers. They're going through a hard time in this economy like everybody else. They've been gracious enough to support this incredible program and just the news and our entire podcast programming suite with David Brody and Cheryl Atkinson and other great voices. So one thing you can do to support our journalism is to support our great advertisers and sponsors. 
They are a very special part of our family, and we're so proud to be working alongside them on this podcast. Now, back to some facts and figures, because that's what we do at Just the News. Right now, uh, we've been talking about stay indoors, quarantines, stay at home, social distancing or physical distancing. Today has had a dramatic increase. We now are seeing about almost half of America in some form of a quarantine stay at home uh, scenario. Uh, only essential travel to grocery stores, pharmacies, things like that. Uh, and uh, that's not the only place in the world where that's going on. Uh, just a few minutes ago in India, uh, Prime Minister Modi ordered uh, a total ban on outdoor activity. Uh, that affects 1.3 billion residents in India, one of the largest countries in the world. Uh, we are in a period where we're going to slow down to try to slow the uh, virus and to keep it from jumping from person to person or leaving our germs on surfaces that might uh, infect others. But it's a short period, we're told. It may only last a few weeks with the idea that we're going to come out of this and get our economy and our jobs and our businesses and our schools back to running to normal once we're through the worst of this. But uh, it is an extraordinary time when you look out over uh, the horizon and see what's literally been going on across the world. We've just never seen anything like this, but we're taking it seriously. We have from the very beginning here at Just the News, uh, and uh, we're going to continue to do so. Now, I promised you a couple important stories. Let's start with Nancy Pelosi's alternative to the Senate coronas, coronavirus spending bill. This is supposed to be the big relief package to help businesses and everyday families through it. Now, uh, Pelosi does the, uh, what others have done. She does propose direct money to families and individuals and uh, households. But her version has an interesting jump in spending, and almost all of it goes to constituencies, cash or ideological constituencies of the liberal wing of her party. Consider some of these things that I dug out of the bill. You can go to justthenews.com right now. You can see all of these, what we would call Christmas tree gifts, uh, snuck into the Nancy Pelosi coronavirus bill. $300 million in funding for public broadcasting. Okay, how is PBS and NPR and places like that uh, essential uh, at this very moment for solving the coronavirus crisis. We're talking about needing masks, needing uh, gap loans, and we're worried about one of the favorite constituencies of liberals, which is public broadcasting. I've got more. Uh, there's an expansive new tax credit for solar and wind energy. Yep, clean energy, green energy. We know that was a big focus of the Obama stimulus package back in 08. No, sorry, 09, after the 08 financial crisis. Looks like they're getting another round here if Nancy Pelosi has her way. How about unions? They're going to get some new collective bargaining agreement. There's new emission standards for airlines, which are already suffering. Now we want to impose higher mileage uh, requirements for them. That's in the bill. Uh, there's same-day voter registration and early voting new requirements thrown into the bill. It doesn't seem like that's going to get people well or get respirators in hospitals or get drugs into uh, clinical tests. These seem to be things that have long-term political interest and not the short-term coronavirus 
uh, concerns that we've all been talking about. But there's more. Let's go through a few more of these. Retirement plans for uh, community newspaper employees. Listen, I love newspapers. I love the news industry. But I'm not sure that's something we need to be addressing at this very moment, holding up a bill for. Let's go through a couple of others. Uh, we've got a bailout for the U.S. Postal Service. You know, the guys who promised to deliver through everything? Well, they've been delivering right through the uh, coronavirus. They've lived up to their promise. But their financial problems far predate the coronavirus, and yet they're addressed in this giant, giant bill, which appears to be larger than $2.5 trillion when Nancy Pelosi made it bigger. A couple others. Remember the Cash for Clunkers uh, program that President Obama liked? There's another billion dollars for that. There's $1.5 million to study climate change mitigation efforts in the civil aviation realm, aerospace realm all probably worthy things uh, for the climate change fighters, but is it really a coronavirus crisis moment right now? Uh, and it goes on and on, a billion dollars to expand a program that Barack Obama had to provide discounted phone service for low-income consumers. Remember the Obama phone program? All of those get a revival in Nancy Pelosi's coronavirus bill. Now, here's what's going on. Most of these things are not going to make it into the final bill. The Senate's going to pass its bill, perhaps later today. That's going to be the, the benchmark. Uh, they may get a few things Democrats made to try to get it back through the House. But really what this is, is an effort to buy Nancy Pelosi to allay the left wing of her party, the AOC wing of her party, by putting a bunch of stuff in here that has no chance of getting through, but would make the base and the donors and the liberal activists and those who might get out the vote in the fall election a little bit happier. The question for Americans is, is that the right thing to do in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic? We'll find the answer out over the next few weeks um, uh, when we see the political polling impact of this debate over coronavirus aid. Now, that's an important piece of the puzzle, but we've got other good stories at Just the News today that you need to know about. My colleague and good friend, Cheryl Atkinson, really one of the best reporters you'll ever find in America. Uh, she just sticks to the facts. She doesn't fool around. She doesn't speculate. She doesn't have an opinion. She simply just does great fact checking. And so she went back and took a look. We're already on the third coronavirus stimulus stimulus packages right now. But she went back and took a look at the first $8.3 billion passed in early May. I think it was signed into law uh, by President Trump on around May 6. So the first wave of U.S. taxpayer aid designed to address the coronavirus pandemic on our soil. What did she find? About one in every four dollars that was allocated in that first budget isn't going inside American borders. It's likely to go overseas to help um, uh, other countries or to help the State Department or to help uh, foreign policy or foreign operations. It's a remarkable piece of reporting. It just slipped under all of our noses. But um, if you go to justthenews.com right now, you'll see Cheryl Atkinson's great roll-up of the money, and she finds about $2.3 billion of that first $8.3 billion aid package for coronavirus went to the following. Here, here are some numbers. $435 million to the USAID. That is the foreign uh, assistance arm, foreign aid arm of the State Department. $300 million for international disaster assistance. $300 million for overseas disease detection and emergency response. $200 million to the State Department Foreign Operations Emergency Reserve Fund. $264 million for the State Department Foreign Affairs 
uh, uh, arm for diplomatic response and evacuation, and $836 million for U.S. or global response at the NIH, our big research arm. A lot of money here, I'm sure all well-intentioned, but a lot of it is going outside of our borders and not staying here, at least in that first aid package. It's a good reminder that we should always go back with a little bit of buyer's intrigue and find out what we really purchased when we got our action out of Congress. Now, let's put that in perspective, too. There was $8 billion in the first round. Uh, We're now talking about a $2 trillion package possibly out of the Senate. Um, Here is what happened under the Bush and Obama years for the prior pandemics, those or outbreaks that we saw. Remember the Zika uh, outbreak uh, spread by mosquitoes uh, in 2016? $1.1 billion was all that was appropriated. Remember Ebola back in 2014? That was pretty scary. $5.4 billion was appropriated of taxpayers' money. And you go back to the swine flu of 2009, $7 billion. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the money's that uh, Mitch McConnell and and Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and uh, Secretary Mnuchin are talking about now. Now, this is a much bigger crisis, but it also means that we're going to have to put a lot more attention on where is this money going? Is it really being spent for what it says? Is there going to be fraud? How can we root that out? How can we prevent waste? How can we prevent political paybacks? Uh, We're going to spend a lot of time at Just the News over the next six months or year protecting your money, reporting this out, allowing you to see where it's really going, not where people said it was going, but really where it ended up. And um, if you want to know how much effort the United States government is going to put in it, uh, to monitoring it, here's a, here's a sobering number. Out of the first $8.3 billion, that's a lot of money, only $3 million was set aside for auditing and oversight of this money, a very small amount given the very large size of expenditures. And those expenditures are going to grow exponentially when the Senate bill clears um, uh, the Senate and there's a final uh, congressional agreement on the big bill. Uh, We're going to watch that money. You should be watching that money. Let's hope the watchdogs in government watch that money so we get a good investment uh, for our money spent. These are hard-earned tax dollars. We'll be watching it, I promise you. And finally because there's another disease afflicting our nation that was here well before uh, the coronavirus, and it'll probably be here well afterwards, and that is the politicalization, the political weaponization of the Justice Department in the Russia case. I've got a new revelation for you today. I've been going through all of these incredible documents that were uh, released piecemeal over the last several months through good work of Judicial Watch and the Southeastern Legal Foundation and others, Here's a crown jewel that will actually make you shiver in your boots. You will not believe what we learned in these new documents about the famous, or infamous for that matter, uh, Trump Tower meeting. Remember June 2016, a Russian uh, named Veselnitskaya, a woman who, by the way, has a lot of business and side interest with uh, Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS, the Clinton researcher, the Christopher Steele employer. She walks into Trump Tower for a meeting, and we were all told at the time this meeting was about dirt sharing, that she was she came in, she had some dirt on Hillary Clinton that she was using, and uh, she was trying to get it in there. And this was one of the seminal episodes of, of Russia collusion between the Trump campaign and Vladimir Putin's uh, uh, hand-picked people. Well, guess what? The FBI interviewed one of the key 
participants in that meeting, just four days after word of the meeting leaked in the New York Times and in other places, including where I was working at the time at Circa. Uh, this is a July 12, 2017 meeting. It uh, is by the Russian interpreter who was brought in by the Russians who joined the meeting. Uh, his name is Anatoly Samachornov. Anatoly Samachornov. He was well known to the U.S. government because he's a translator that was used by federal agencies. He's very well respected. Uh, he was there to translate the meeting. And here is what he told the, um, the FBI four days after the famous leak in the Washington, uh, New York Times that raised all of this fear about the Trump Tower meeting. Quote, there was no discussion of the 2016 United States presidential election or collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. That's the FBI's 302 report, interview report, quoting um, Mr. Samatronov about what went on. There was no smoking gun, according Samatronov. There was not a discussion about dirt on Hillary Clinton. Samatronov did not even think Hillary Clinton was mentioned by name, close quote. All of that from the FBI's 302. Now, why is that so amazing? Well, well let me give you one more thing he said first. Samatronov said the predominant focus of the meeting was a, 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 an obscure law known as the Magnitsky Act, something that Vladimir Putin was upset about. Uh, it punished Russia for corruption uh, and human rights violations. He was trying to get it reversed. Um, and that was the primary focus of the meeting, according to a firsthand witness, a guy who worked for the government, somebody who was trusted. Uh, he's interviewed by the FBI four days after the revelation of the meeting. That's exactly what Don Jr., and what the other Trump participants said happened at the meeting. It's not what the media reported. It is not what the Democrats alleged. And most importantly, this very vital revelation by the interpreter was excluded from, you got it, Robert Mueller's final report. Imagine if they had just put this in the report, that what they found out about the uh, Trump Tower meeting was its main interpreter, a guy that the government trusted to interpret its work, said... No funny business, no election business, no Hillary Clinton dirt. It really was about the Magnitsky Act. Imagine if Robert Mueller had just simply put that in his final report, how much more we would have known and how much less we would have been concerned about this episode and how much more we would have known about the false narrative woven by reporters and Democrats and bureaucrats who made a big stink about this meeting. It turns out it was a big nothing burger. And uh, that is a direct relationship to or direct uh, confirmation in the FBI's own documents. I want to read it one more time, just as we go to commercial break. What did Anatoly Samatronov tell us uh, happened at the meeting? I just got to read it one more time. Quote, there was no discussion of the 2016 United States presidential election or collusion between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. There was no smoking gun. There was no discussion about dirt on Hillary Clinton. Samatronov did not think Hillary Clinton even was mentioned by name. That's what was in the FBI secret files. Too bad it wasn't in the Robert Mueller report. We would have benefited from that knowledge a year ago. We would have benefited from that knowledge back in 16 and 17 when all of these allegations first surfaced, trying to make it look like there was a collusion narrative. All right, we're going to get back to coronavirus in a second. We're going to go to the quick commercial break. And when we come back, you won't want to miss this interview. Alfredo Ortiz head of the um, Small Business Lobby Group, Job Creators Network. He's an eloquent voice. He is a on the inside of this Senate coronavirus package. You're not going to want to miss what he has to say. 
what he knows, what's going to happen, and how his recipe for how we get small business community, the engine of America, 90 million employees a year, how we get through this crisis and get them back to business. We'll be back after the break. Stay tuned. Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer, a beach bum summer, or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door, in as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. All right, folks, welcome back from a commercial break. And as promised, I've got one of the frontline players in the effort to get Americans coronavirus relief. We're joining us right now is Alfredo Ortiz, the head of the Job Creators Network, one of the most important small business lobbies in America. And uh, Alfredo's been on the front lines trying to help uh, small businesses get the relief they need from Congress. And he's here to tell us, in his own words, what's been going on behind the scenes on Capitol Hill. Alfredo, welcome aboard. Hey, John. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. It's a crazy, crazy time, though, I have to tell you. It is. We've never lived or prepared for something like this, that's for sure. Yeah, no, no. It's crazy. And, you know, the, the president's doing an incredible job overall, I mean, just trying to get through this. I mean... I think everybody probably, you know, you can have a, a, a bunch of scenario planning and, 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 and do this you know, until you're uh, blue in the face, but until you're actually living it, uh, it's a whole separate thing. And, and folks like uh, Nancy Pelosi sure aren't making it any easier. I have to tell you that much. Well, let's start there, because last night after all the hard work that uh, many people did in the Senate to get a Senate deal together on a, on a $1.8 or $2 trillion package, um, the House Democrats, led by Nancy Pelosi, their speaker, uh, put out a uh, their own plan that seems to have a lot of uh, gifts in it for special interests that have nothing to do with uh, the um, uh, coronavirus response or the uh, people suffering. Could you talk a little bit about the things you saw in the bill that really upset you and, and who ultimately benefits from the games they're playing? Yeah, you know, and this is what's amazing. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I think even Chuck Schumer, quite frankly, was even caught off guard. You know, because, you know, here comes Nancy Pelosi off of her flight from from San Francisco. It just completely uh, messed up something uh, and, and at least killed one day of negotiations, right? And it looks like my understanding is things are kind of back on track, John, which is probably a good thing. Um, people are going right. to move forward on the Senate bill. They're not going to move forward on the Pelosi bill. I have to tell you, just looking through it, and I'm sorry, I'm probably operating on one hour of sleep because I've been trying to go through the, I think it's like 1,240 pages, by the way. Um, which she is put it really forth. that big? Yeah, it's like 1,240 pages, I think. And so I've been trying to go through this, but it's just really ridiculous, John, I have to tell you. I mean, the stuff that she's put in here, uh, uh, like corporate pay statistics, by race and race statistics for corporate boards receiving assistance, that's one. Bailing out all current debt of the Postal Service. What the hell does that have anything to do, <laughs> excuse my language, but with the coronavirus you know, uh, bailout, or, or I call it a lifeline, required early voting. Required same-day voter registration. Uh, that's another great one I love. Full offset of domestic airline emissions by 2025. Um, the, the list just goes on and on. Here's another good one, John. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going through my, my 1,200 pages of notes here. <laughs> Greenhouse gas statistics for individual flights. 
by 2023. Um, and there was one more one I, a doozy I picked out here. Uh, subsidizing retirement plans for community newspaper employees. And then the other biggest one that I love was forgiving the debt for the post office. There is pretty and amazing, going, isn't it? Yeah, John, and I'm telling you, the list goes on and on and on. It's a 1,200-page bill. But, you know, you can tell that it was she was never really intending. She knew it was not ever going to be a bill that was going to be taken up because the, 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 there's no depth in anything that was written in it. You know, it wasn't negotiated. It wasn't thought out. It was literally like the laundry list of all the, you know, that would like to have that the Democrats had all put into this one bill. Um, and I think really what it was, it was just Pelosi trying to, you know, appease the squad. Um, you know, some of the primaries kicked out some of the what I call the central Dems, you know, that were AOC backed, John. And I think the, I think she's just afraid that she may uh, lose her speakership. Um, and uh, so she said, you know what, I'm just going to go put it in there. Uh, who cares about, you know, the American economy and the American public? Uh, my speakership is more important than, 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 than the jobs of the Americans that these, this bill our phase three bill was going to, you know, was going to do to save save Americans, small businesses in particular. We're still doing our analysis, but it seems as though a lot of the winners in the Pelosi bill, people who are getting aid that uh, don't have an immediate coronavirus need, are cash constituencies of the Democratic Party and of the liberal base, people like unions and clean energy companies. Are, are you seeing that? And it, was this bill just a giant Christmas tree designed to get uh, liberal uh, benefactors, more money from the government? I mean, this was the Kwanzaa tree, the Hanukkah tree, the Christmas tree. I mean, you name it. I mean, this was every single tree imaginable, right, that you can imagine that she just tried to pile in there. Like I said, there was no way. She had to know that there was no way that this was a bill that was ever going to move forward with. But it literally was her trying to show her constituency and especially, you know, the squad, uh, probably for fear of being, uh, uh, you know, primaried out or voted out or speakership. Um, you know, things like you said, I mean, un, un, unbridled uh, 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 un, union uh, representation, for example, a, 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 a federally mandated $15 minimum wage, right, forever. I mean, things, things that, you know, you know, literally beyond just reproach in terms of taking this crisis and just literally holding the American public hostage. Um, it was unbelievable. I mean, basically, what 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 she effectively, you know, what could have done or would have done, and she's not. She, I don't think she's going to achieve that because I think, quite frankly, there are many people that are just uh, calling her out on this, and I think this is really going to backlash on her. Was basically it was a politically induced coma of the American economy that she was that that she was literally willfully uh, committing here. It's uh, it's going to be an extraordinary day as this plays out, as the Senate wraps up its work and then sends the bill over to the House. It'll be interesting to see how they get to a final compromise and and uh, and finally get the aid that the American people need um, out there. Uh, now, you, you represent uh, tens of thousands of small businesses, and they are obviously hard hit by the, the shutdown, the quarantines, the stay, shelter right. in place, the stay at home. Tell us uh, what is the most important thing right now that the small business community needs to survive, to keep its people on payroll, to make sure that they come out of this outbreak as strong as they went into it? John, I have to tell you, uh, cash is keen for, for, for these small businesses. I, I, I mean, my, my emails, my text, phone, I mean, it's just, it's just blowing up small business owners, just crying out for help. Every single day that passes is another day where, where small businesses are, are, are closing, closing up shop. And, um, and and this is the major issue, right? And and it it seems as though you know Pelosi in particular here is just absolutely toned up. 
Um, you know, I jokingly say maybe if, you know, and, and maybe I'm just kind of being rude because I'm not, I haven't gotten sleep for two weeks, but if she stopped getting her hair done over there at the four seasons in Georgetown, less than three times a week, she'd probably understand what's going on with a real American economy. April 1st, John is just around the corner and guess what to do? Car payments, rent payments, how, you know, mortgage payments. I mean, this is real life stuff and people are panicking, freaking out going, what do I do? You know, employers don't know what to, what to do. The employees don't know what to do. People are being laid off. I mean, we have possibly, I think the number, the last number I checked on, 4 million people being laid off in the hotel industry alone by this Friday. Another 7 million in the restaurant industry. I mean, by my estimates, we'll have 15 million people unemployed by this Friday. Unbelievable. That's a huge number. And uh, when they go off payroll, it's hard to get them back on until there's economic certainty, right? That's one of the that, challenges. That, 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 that's right, John. And so it's something that, you know, we, we actually, you know, you, you, people have heard of unemployment insurance. We've kind of have coined the phrase of phase three of Main Street employment assurance, not to be confused with guaranteed income, which is what AOC wants. But it's so much better to have people, even if you can keep them on a standby basis, right? Because we're going to roar back out of this economy. I completely agree with President Trump. There's going to be so much pent-up demand. I mean, there are cash reserves. People want to spend money. They just can't spend it, right? People are going to want to go back out and, and, and live the lives as Americans that we've been enjoying and that we were enjoying just a few weeks ago. And so we're going to need these workers ready to go. And um, it, I, I kind of draw the analogy of everybody's got a laptop or something, and they know the difference when you shut it down versus a standby, John. Right. It's always better to right. put it on standby because you can pull it back up and it's ready to go. Right. When you shut it down, it takes so much longer. It's the same thing with the American economy and our, and our small business workers. Right. And employees. Let's keep them at least on that on that standby basis. That's what phase three does. And that's what it does to help the bill, which is why it's just, uh, you know, uh, unbelievable what, what Pelosi is doing here. But it, we, we got to get our employees, and especially with April 1st right around the corner, people are freaking out, John. And we got to get this bill passed. We got to get cash to the, to the employers so they can get it to the employees. And, uh, you know, there's a low, you know, I know SBA, for example, is something that is being uh, considered and talked about. We actually submitted to Secretary Mnuchin something directly, uh, which is really an express application process, one pager not the bureaucratic SBA process. I mean, I love the SBA, but I'm also a small business owner, and I've applied to one of those loans, John. It's a three- right. to five-month process. I'm sorry, right? And we got to get something where somebody goes in, small business owner, legit, into their local bank. And by the way, the local bankers know the local vendors well, so they're they're the best ones to figure out what's fraud and what's not, right? And and, and let that one-page one, app, one page application process be submitted, and 72 hours later, cash in the bank of those employers so they can pay the payroll, they can pay the rent, utilities, and at least, you know, kind of get through these next 45 days or so. Now, you've played an essential role. I've talked to several members in both the House and the Senate. You've been a very critical player behind the scenes, and Job Creators Network has. For those of you who don't know uh, a lot about Job Creators Network, it was founded by the Home Depot founder, Bernie Marcus. And Alfredo has been running it from its inception. It has become one of the more cogent voices in all of Washington on policy issues, whether taxes or, or uh, uh, coronavirus relief now and all the things, regulatory relief. But talk a little bit about, um, Alfredo, what you've done specifically over the last two weeks. You talked about sleepless nights, what you've been doing to try to get the right package to Congress. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, we, we obviously have been fighting you know, all along in a phase one, phase two, phase three packages. 
you know, making sure that small business is represented. Um, John, I think you probably saw the, the, the big full-page ad we dropped in USA Today and Wall Street Journal last Friday. I think it was last Friday. Maybe it was two Fridays ago. And I, I, I honestly, I I've lost track of my time. Uh, but but it couldn't have been big, you know, couldn't have been more loud, right? Small business is too big to fail. And that's, I think, the message that I think people are hearing loud and clear, John. And, and, and hopefully we've done a good job here of making sure that, that everybody in Congress hears that. And all across America, people understand that. I'm not sure if you've been noticing this, John, but I have, and, and, and I am so encouraged by this, but I have not heard small business mentioned so many times as it has been over the past two weeks. And so I'm really encouraged that the message that small business is too big to fail is getting out there. Because quite frankly, the last go around when we had the economic meltdown, it was about the large corporations. I think that mostly got helped out. Um, and the little guy really kind of got screwed. And, uh, you know, we, we're there to make sure that, that the little guy doesn't get screwed and that small business owners and their employees, John, I mean, between the two of them, you know, 30 million small business owners that employ 60 million people uh, in this country. We're talking 90 million people. And you know what? Small business owners were what led this great economic revival that we were just having a few weeks ago. And they are going to be the ones that lead us back out if we help them today. If not, they're not going to be able to help us, right, get out of this out of this downward spiral. So we have to help them today. We've been really excited about that. We were really involved, obviously, on the Tax and Jobs Act as well, um, you know, a couple of years ago, making sure that the grassroots advocacy worked on that. But, you know, over these past few weeks, again, we've been working on different things, uh, having direct conversations with Secretary Mnuchin. And I have to give a shout out to him because, look, as busy as he was, he took three separate calls from me. Uh, in fact, he called me directly uh, last Monday. I didn't even recognize his number. I thought it was actually spam. So I let it go to <laughs> let it go to voicemail. And it wasn't his admin. It wasn't his, you know, his assistant. It was Secretary Mnuchin. Was I'm right with the secretary, hey, yeah. It was just a secretary. You go, hey, Alfredo, it's Steve. Uh, you know, just uh, you know, secretary treasurer, uh, just giving you a call. Call me back when we get a chance. You know, <laughs> um, you know, calm as it can be, but uh, you got to give him some credit. You know, he's he's listening. Um, I know some things he's already enacted. Um, again, we're 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 looking at uh, trying to get approval of of this this quick application process because I think that's what small business owners need. Something where it's a seventy two hour uh, you know process. That quickly, we can't afford three, four, five weeks of time through the SBA. But he's listening, right? He's listening to our needs, and uh, we couldn't ask more, more, more than that. Yeah, that's it. He's been such an important broker because with the toxicity between Trump and Pelosi and Schumer, it's hard for the president himself to engage in these negotiations. And it, it, the secretary has just played such an important role in shuttle diplomacy and getting through some of the politics and getting this to the to the one yard line and maybe the one foot line today. Uh, when you look at the bill, the Senate bill, which is where you focused a lot of your efforts in the last few days, what are the most important provisions for the small business community? What's in there now that's going to make a difference over the next two, four, six weeks? Bottom line, I go back to cash is keen, John. It's the it's the loans to small business owners that are forgivable to cover payroll, utilities, rent, um, but in particular payroll. Right, we got to keep our you know the employees of small business owners. We got to keep them alive and going. Um, they are freaking out, you know, and uh, we, we, we got to get that cash to, to these folks. Um, th these are real life stories and, and people have to understand how quickly this, this thing shuts down. Um, uh, the, the, the gentleman, I'm blanking on his name right now, but for example, owns all the uh, Applebee's in uh, New York Metro City, for example. Um, right. Just two weeks ago, he had 3,500 employees. And, and I think as of yesterday, John, he's down to 30. Wow. 
Wow, that's dramatic. What a story. You know, and, and this is a guy that, you know, was it was a great success story. It is a great success story, thriving, and out of no fault of his own, you know, with, you know, this this uh, silent uh, virus, silent killer, basically, um, that's created havoc on our economy, has basically destroyed his, his life work. Uh, you know, you can see the emotion on his face when he's interviewing. Uh, I've had small business owners who are you know, been professionals uh, in their careers forever, um, literally breaking down on the phone with me. I mean, th- this is destroying people's lives and livelihoods and households and, you know, the employees. I mean, and, and this is what I just sit there and I go, how can Pelosi it, it do this? I mean, she should be just stepping aside at this point and just shame. Well, it's, um, it is an extraordinary time. And uh, when you map out uh, the next three, four months, obviously you have to have a strategy for for your members and for the the larger small business community, Main Street America, how does this play out in your in your best case scenario? How does this play out in terms of getting back to normalcy? Yeah, John, I think that's a great story. Well, again, assuming everything passes and we get this, you know these loans, you know forgivable loans to small business owners, they bring stuff back online. I, you know, the next forty five days is just going to be ugly, John. I mean, it's there's just no other way about it. I mean, the the, the economy is literally being shut down, and, and then it's got to get back up, right? Again. I'm saying let's put it on standby. Let's not do the full shutdown. Let's try to do whatever we can to just keep the employees um, on standby, ready to go. Um, I think at the end of the third quarter, uh, roughly, John, is I think everything will be- open back up. If you look at what's happening in China, China's pretty much 95% up and running now. Um, right. You, you know, so, so they've gone past it. Everything's going. Manufacturing's strong. Um, you know, they're out there now producing stuff already. Um, you know, and so from that perspective, we know that we're going to get through this. Um, and, and I think that's where, you know, uh, confidence is so needed here, John, you know, that, that we are going to get out of this and that things are going to be okay. Um, you, you just, but, you know, American entrepreneurialism and exceptionalism here, John, is what's going to make us succeed again, right? Because um, that is the beauty of America. We just believe we'll get through this stuff and we know we well together and, and, and it's, it is going to be rough and it's going to be tough, but, you know, I'm seeing just amazing unity, amazing help right now, um, ingenuity. Uh, you know, for example, in, in, in my community, everything was shut down except restaurants with drive-thrus. Well, guess what? Right. Some of the restaurants didn't have drive-thrus. They pulled out their POS, they put it on the cord, and they set up a little umbrella, and boom, all of a sudden, the next day, they had a drive-thru, you know? What a great story. Doesn't that make you smile? Yeah, I did. I took a great picture. I'll send it to you because it's just great, right? I mean, this is this is what this is the beauty of America. We're going to figure this out, right? So. For next 45 days, it's going to be ugly, right? But we know it's going to be ugly. We get past through, you know, we get past things, um, uh, and, and it's going to look good. And I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand, John. That's why I'm, I'm so desperately trying to make sure that, you know, that, that employees are not laid off, that they're not fired, right, that they're just put on standby or small business owners. Um, again, this is completely no fault out of anybody's uh, – we, honestly, big business, medium business, small business, it really wasn't anybody's fault. Right. This is something that was completely uh, unforeseen. The government has has had to take actions, whether it's local, state or, or federal government. We've had to take actions, uh, again, that, are, that is impacting the economy um, in, in an enormous way that nobody predicted. And so I really hate to have the left calling it a bailout. This isn't a bailout. It's a lifeline, John. These are lifelines for, for these companies, again, small, medium or large, uh, because, again, I mean, um, Really, it was no fault of their own. The economy was humming, as you know. We were almost at Dow 30,000, record record employment. 
um, uh, record unemployment, you know, for, for all demographic groups. So, you know, this was an unfortunate hit to the economy. We're going to get through it. And, uh, you know, again, American entrepreneurialism and exceptionalism and just, you know, ingenuity is going to get us through this. It certainly will. We've been through many things in our country's history, and we always find a way to come back. Um, well, I'm not going to get that image of my laptop going into sleep rather than shut down. That's an important analogy for what we're trying to achieve here over the next 45 days. And um, Alfredo, I can't thank you enough for taking time to join us at John Solomon Reports and at Just the News. And we'll keep close in contact with you because we want to monitor what's going on on Main Street, the engine of America. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the, the opportunity. Be safe out there, okay? You too, and get some rest. It sounds like you've earned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, once we get the bill passed, maybe I'll take a nap. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Well, again, thanks again. And, folks, uh, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. We've been very lucky to have with us today Alfredo Ortiz, the head of Job Creators Network, one of the most influential small business hobbies in America. If you haven't seen them before, check them out. They're doing very important work in growing America's economy. And we'll be back on Thursday with another edition. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and enjoy that time with your family.